to it. So welcome everyone to the ninth installment of the Afternoons with Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Marcus Graham Project. Our mission at Afternoon Agency is to curate authentic stories that reflect intersectionality. And the purpose of this podcast is to create conversations around topics relevant to our industry and our culture. So my name is Asa. I'm one of the brand managers. My interests lie in music and culture as means of communication. And I'm a senior at the University of Missouri studying international business. I'm a cancer. And go ahead and follow me on Instagram at asa.poj. And I'm here with Ryan. Up, y'all. I'm Ryan. I'm um, Afternoon Agency Strategist slash Account Planner. As of last week, I told my team that I'm the new director of cultural anthropology, uh, cultural anthropology and consumer behavior. Can't even get it out. Um, uh, my interests are, I don't know, I have a lot of interests, but I'm really interested, interested in the intersection of fashion, media, and activism. I'm a rising junior at Georgetown University, and I'm a Taurus. So shout out to all my Tauruses. Mm. All right. Well, we're super excited. This week's podcast is going to be talking about dealing with imposter syndrome as minorities in marketing and advertising. And for people who aren't familiar with what imposter syndrome is, it's basically the feeling of inadequacy that persists despite evident success. So we chose to do this podcast because it's something that so many people deal with, but few people really talk about. And we'll be dissecting the roots of these feelings, sharing our personal experiences, and what we can do to combat it. So we have a very special guest with us today for this discussion. He is an MGP alumni, a brand executive at Wyden and Kennedy, and a 2020 Ad Color Future, Anthony Williams. What's poppin'? What's good, family? Ah, what's good, family? What's good? Shout out to Afternoon. Obviously, shout out to Marcus Grand Project. Thank y'all for having me and bringing me into this very interesting and timely discussion. So I'm certainly looking forward to this. I have um, nothing to plug except for support a Black-owned business. That's going to be the new How You Doing. Did you support a Black-owned business today? Hey. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's all I have to plug. Everyone go ahead and comment on his picture. Um, congratulate him for being a 2020 Ad Color Future. Y'all can do that. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay, so we're just going to hop into the first part, which is going to be us talking about the roots of doubt. So the first question that I want to pose that Ryan came up with is what planted the seeds of imposter syndrome in your life? Were they mainly microaggressions from others or internal sentiments? Mm, that's a great question to kick it off, both of y'all. Um, I don't want to say the seeds were planted because me being the spiritual person, I don't, that's not something I want to harvest. That's not some seeds I want to grow. But mm. I think society naturally does implement some form of um, imposter syndrome. Um, and even more than anything, especially with the world we're living in now in terms of with social media and so much at our disposable and, and so much of the mass media that we consume day to day. I mean, it, it's a given. It's within the grains and the infrastructure of our society and this country, um, especially us being, me being a black man, but us being black and brown people, we, we know full well that it, it's just embedded within the fabric of this nation. So it's, um, we can talk more about that, but um, it's kind of inevitable. There's, there's, it's, it's natural factors that are already built within, I feel like society that unfortunately allow imposter syndrome to even be a thing, so. 
But I'd say that's more of where it stemmed from, at least for me personally, versus, um, you know, anything related to childhood or anything related to my background. Not, not really. Mm, absolutely. Well, to that point, can you think of the first time where you felt like you may be undeserving of success? Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, because I, I, I was thinking about this kind of question, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say undeserving of success only because, only because I genuinely feel that everything I've earned, I've worked to some degree, I've worked for. Mm-hmm. That's the key word. I've earned it, so I work. Therefore, I work for it. So if I, I didn't, I'm not saying I deserve it. I earned it. So I wouldn't say undeserving of success, but obviously, yes, there's been plenty of times where I felt like some form of inadequacy or uh, like completely questioning my capabilities. Um, Honestly, I can think of just me graduating from college and starting like my real internship at the agency I'm at now. And when you're thrown into such a big agency like this and with big clients and obviously big projects and deliverables, and I'm out again, I'm fresh out of college. I, I did. I, I felt like I was always questioning the one thing, which is funny, that I majored in. I majored in corporate communications, and I feel like here I am struggling to communicate. Mm-hmm. Like, for some reason, everyone is getting their thoughts out. Everybody is able to offer their two cents and their POV on this, and then it gets to me, and I'm, I'm freezing up, and I'm, or I feel like what I'm saying isn't being clearly comprehended. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's because I didn't, maybe I didn't feel like, you know, the feedback from others was inviting or welcoming or like they were actually understanding. Sometimes I felt like it was literally just me. Like I was choking on my words. And unfortunately that, that just added a level of like anxiety. Now I'm like, oh my goodness, they didn't gave me this internship. I, I'm trying to <laughs> prove I can knock out A, B, and C and X, Y, Z and do the most and I'll do myself. And for some reason, here I am struggling with like communication and whether it's written or oral, like stuff that I've been grained in and studying and, and I know for all my life. Um, and, and when you get to that certain point, you know, there's a level of anxiety. Um, you feel like you're not performing at your best. So now when it is like my turn to speak or communicate or get something done, I'm over here worrying about, okay, let me, what am I saying? How am I saying it? Am I tailoring it to the right audience? Blah, blah, blah. When I literally could just be opening my mouth, saying it, getting the job done and keep it moving. But I can't because I'm so focused on how it's coming off. Um, And maybe that was just like the whole little fish and like a big pond uh, syndrome or whatever. But it was real. It was real. And I I struggled with that for many weeks and turned into months. I was just like, okay, I might have sounded great and looked great on paper and sounded great in my interviews. But these people probably like, what are we (laughs) doing with this cat here? and also, it also can be intimidating for you to be so young and then be working with like these veterans who have been here for years and they know the ins and outs of this industry. And, you know, you're trying to offer in your two little cents and your little POV and it's probably just falling on like deaf ears. Um, I, I come to learn, we can talk about this later, I, I come to learn that it, it wasn't. Like people were listening and people were, and that's why you're there. You're there for a reason. So, but yeah, that was probably my first encounter with it. I agree. Well, I don't know about y'all, but for me, I can say a big part of, um, I guess, the roots of that for me is feeling like there's a burden on my back. And when I step into a room, especially a corporate room, I'm not just representing myself. I'm representing my family. I'm representing the next little black boy who wants a position at this company. And so all of that contributes to that 
anxiousness or that anxiety or, or hesitancy to speak up or try mm-hmm. to have something perfect when you're saying what you're saying. When truth be told, I mean, I go to Georgetown. Most of these white kids that I go to school with, they say whatever comes to their mind. Like they, they don't even think twice about it. Facts, facts. <laughs> and they're so comfortable and they, you feel like they ingrained within the culture and this, that, and the third. And it's like, nah, I, I, I have every right to be here. So let me act like it. And let me stop being Absolutely. concerned with how I'm being perceived or what is being perceived. Like I'm here for a reason. I'm here to take care of business. Let's get the job done. So. Yeah. I feel that. One thing that Mm -hmm. I did want to say is like, I think that we're all born confident and you're just conditioned to doubt your own abilities. So Mm. for me, when I was like young, young, like a really small kid, I was confident. I knew I had it because that's what like my parents instilled in me and that's what I believed. But growing up, especially as a black woman, when you're like Mm -hmm. talking to people, you walk into a room and I'm just going to use like my college as an example because I go to a PWI too, but I know I'm smart, I know I'm capable, and I know I'm deserving of being there. But going around, talking with people, talking to white men in particular, and like they're speaking over me or making me feel like my ideas aren't important or not to be listened to, I think that just kind of reaffirms that like, okay, maybe you shouldn't be talking, maybe you shouldn't be here, maybe this place is for you. And I feel like, especially for Black women, that's instilled so early in our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it even, um, it, it's unfortunate and, and we instill that. And I feel like there has to be a shift in like the paradigm or shift in the atmosphere at one point where we're no longer um, ingraining that like in our heads, you know? Okay, yeah. Well, no, you just said something really interesting that you feel like we're born confident. And as we get older, I guess our insecurities start to rise or other people's insecurities get projected on us. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. to know from both of y'all, how do you think that race and not only race, but age play into like self-doubt? Well, um, first off, being black, we know we already, unfortunately, we already have a sense of, um, I hate to say inferiority, it is. It's like we all we already know that we're stepping into uh, the, the the white man's society or, or this realm or this world, and it's always us maybe conforming or having to fit in, or having to play the cards their way. And I feel like again, that's been all ingrained in society. When it's almost like we talk about, um, I having I'm, I'm I'm black, so I'm there's this feeling of I know I'm going to prove myself just to sit at the table versus mm-hmm. a mentality where I'm trying to understand more of no, I'm black. Therefore, I have every right to be at this table. And I, have, mm-hmm. I, I, I plan on playing an active role at this table. Like, I don't just plan on sitting here, taking up space so y'all can say you check the box for diversity or, you know, D&I, okay, cool, we got one at the table. No, nah, like, having an active role so soon at the end of the day, I can be at the head of the motherfucking table. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's something I feel like I've even read from, like, Charlemagne, uh, the God's book, uh, Black Privilege. And that helped give me like a lot of that insight, like learning, like we, it's something that became new to me because I never heard that before. I was like, this is black privilege. What is that? No, we, being, being black is a gift and a blessing, especially to know that you're the, the originators and the architects and the epitome of everything, whether people want to admit it or not. We are. Um, Absolutely. And because of that, it should be more of a mindset of, you no, know, that's, that's more of a, 
not like a godlike complex, but that that gives me every right to be uh, assertive and every right to be outstanding and excellent. Like that's that's no longer like the the minimum. That's the norm yeah. because I'm black regardless. Um, and I, I I hope we can all get to a point where we start shifting our ideas, our mentality, especially for the younger generation to that. If not now, you know, like when? Right. I love that. I like how you flipped it on its head. Nicole Hannah-Jones from the, the, the New York Times 1619 Project, she writes a lot about mm. that. And she yes. says how Black Americans, I mean, other than Native Americans, we are the Americans. We basically fought to make this country b believe or act on the belief that it was founded on. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We did that. So I completely Absolutely. agree. And I, and I like how you said, in fact, black is, being Black is not a handicap at all mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely it's it's, it's like um when we when we are now or we always been i feel like in a state of knowing our self-worth but like now that our society is finally starting to answer like the wake-up call that we've been ringing for years and years and years now that you all have finally decided to start paying attention like i i'm, I'm i can no longer allow that imposter syndrome because this is now starting to become our environment. Like this is this is now my place. Like I'm not, and I won't allow myself to feel that because of me being a black male, um, and or whoever how I identify that might be not a cis white man or a cis white woman, is going to make me feel like I don't belong. That's just gonna that's gonna come with time. That's gonna come with mentality changes and also the spaces, you know, the spaces mm -hmm. we inhabit. Yeah, it's, I'm, it's it's always the we look at this historic as the first black to reach this and the first black which is honorable in their own achievements but i i i'm waiting for us to get to a point where it's no longer that's that's no longer like the big significant and that should because we're all on the dominating go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say like first black whatever should no longer be happening in 2020 and that's just <laughs> bottom line talk about it talk <laughs> about it <laughs> No, big facts. Big but facts, um, to answer Ryan's question, and I think that a lot of people may be able to relate to this, but one big, where my imposter syndrome stems from is like uh, measuring my own success by other people's standards. So mm -hmm. I know a lot of Black families, but especially Nigerian families. One, like you have to be good at everything that you do one which is hard it's like unrealistic but then sure. as far as career choices go like nobody understands what i'm doing right now like my family thinks i'm doing investment banking or something like that <laughs> they don't understand anything outside of what they see success so that's how i saw success for myself for so long and i just mm -hmm. measured it monetarily for the most part monetarily and like um i guess by prestige of whatever I wanted to do, just so my family would be able to show off what I did, my accomplishment, whether I was passionate sure. about it or not. So I did want to talk about that, how other people's standards for you and your success may have um, factored into your imposter syndrome. And then also, mm. Brian, Anthony like talked about what his imposter syndrome looks like for him and how it comes out, but I'm curious to see like what that looks like for you. Yeah, well, that was deep. Hold on, because I want to I want to circle back and answer the first thing that you said about like other people's standards and how that influences your idea of success or what you want to be. 
So I've told um, internally our team this within the agency, but growing up as a black man in an urban environment, I'm from the DMV, I'm from DC. Um, I was expected to be an entertainer, basically a rapper um, or an athlete because I played sports growing up. And I knew mm. from a very early age or a drug dealer, if, if we're keeping it all the way 100, but obviously two of those are legal, one are illegal. And I was going to go the, the legitimate route. But I knew from a very early age that I didn't want to be um, a rapper or an athlete. And so I knew that I wanted to work in marketing. I knew I wanted to be a businessman. I don't want to play for the team. I want to own the team. And I knew that from middle school. And um, I think that I'm glad that I was aware enough and confident enough and I had a support system around me to recognize that I can literally be whatever I want to be. And given the fact that I grew up in PG County, which is, has traditionally been one of the richest, if not number one, the richest black county in America, I definitely feel some sort of privilege and recognize that now. And I think I took it for granted when I was growing up, but I've, I'm used to black doctors and black lawyers and black senators and all that kind of Amazing. stuff. So I never really, I never really limited myself. Like other people may have had limitations for me, but I definitely didn't. Um, that's not to say that I don't ex experience imposter, imposter syndrome right now at Georgetown. Sometimes I feel mm. survivor's remorse. It's like, I'm there. I'm like, why mm. me? I might look at my entire basketball team that I grew up with, and there may be three kids that are in college, three kids that are really serious about furthering their, their life right now. And so sometimes I feel like, why was I the one who made it out? Or why do I deserve to be at Georgetown when they're at home? I get to Georgetown and the way I speak, sometimes I would code switch. I, I don't do that anymore. So everybody from Georgetown listening, y'all know what it is. But I felt the, the pressure to code switch for a very long time. Um, and then I get back home and they say, oh, you've been at Georgetown. You, you with the white folks, you with the rich folks. Mm -hmm. So those different, those different sentiments, and I don't even know if you would refer to them as yes. microaggressions, but those like, internalized, oh. unconscious yes. biases, they definitely mm -hmm. contribute to imposter syndrome for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can all relate to that. One, the code switching, but also no more of that shit. No more of the code switching. Like, Period. and I, I know I know everyone isn't that fortunate to be in environments or atmospheres where they feel they don't have to code switch. I can say just from my experience and with the agency I'm at right now, I'm lucky to say that I don't, you, I feel, I feel like we all play it to, you know, our advantage every now and then, but like, this is, I know a place where I play, I don't have to do it as much versus if I knew I was at some other spots and maybe some like my homies work at. Um, but it is, it's, 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 it's something that we learn so much at a young age, learning how to code switch and learning how to mm -hmm. flip it around when it's time to, and, and again, like we, we play it to our advantage. I think it's, it's, it's a skill, it's a craft, but it's also, um, it's also should no longer be a necessity. That right. should just be like a back pocket thing. When I, I put it out when I need it, if I need it, but no longer needs to be a necessity. Mm, that's a word. Yeah, that's a word right there. Yeah. What I do want to say yeah. is, at least for people of color, I think that imposter syndrome is so real because some people describe it as fear of being exposed as a fraud, like when you've achieved mm -hmm. something. And for us to literally like just 
talking about code switching and having to code switch in the first place, I may be exposed as a fraud because like, this is not who I actually am. I don't talk like this. And I don't mean the mm. shit that I put on my resume. Like I'm doing that to impress people. So I feel mm. like that plays into it so much as professionals. As we move into part two, how does imposter syndrome affect us personally and professionally? So. Mm. Well, I would first say right quick, what you just said about like feeling like you can be exposed at any moment. That is so real. And I think that might be the biggest piece that mm. I suffer with, well, I won't say suffer, but that I experience, uh, how I experience imposter syndrome, because like being at, in the business school at Georgetown, a lot of it, being at Georgetown period, I mean, these kids are rich. And when I tell y'all rich, they are rich. Like when you look at the statistics, it's crazy hurt how many students are in the top 1%. And so when you say like being exposed, like you don't belong here, I go to a school with $80,000 and growing tuition a year. I obviously can't afford that. And so it's like you, sometimes I feel like I don't even want to introduce my friends, friends, my associates at Georgetown to my family because they're going to see like, this nigga can't afford to be here. Like, what is he doing here? So that, that yeah. feeling of being exposed is real. And I think that affects me. Yeah. It affects who I introduce to certain communities. When I'm at Georgetown, mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I might can't introduce my cousin Ray Ray uh to them but i might be able to introduce you know my my mother because she graduated from college she's a bit more polished if you will she knows how to code mm -hmm. switch essentially uh so that's that's definitely one way it affects me personally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's all a kind of a way of you were talking about in the professional world kind of like uh just saving face you're right you want to expose being a fraud but so you're trying to save you know save face um by doing acting and going about a certain ways and, and it's hoping to blend in and just like you know this then a third and um i think professionally being in that ingrained in that environment or or, or that day-to-day -day end of having to code switch and not being exposed to the fraud will wear on your mental it will wear mm. on your mental and i know so many folks who are just at a point where they're like to hell with this like I'm me, and y'all gonna deal with it regardless, either here or somewhere else. But you know, and if it's here, it's gonna be here. Get ready to be uncomfortable because now you're gonna see a different side, whatever. Or if it's not here, I'm packing my bags, and I'm, you know, I'm rotating. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I, I can't imagine. I, I'm not in that place yet in my career. You know, obviously still young and starting out. Um, but I can't imagine being at a time in my career where I'm just like, I don't even feel like I'm myself. Imagine how that's going to affect my mental and my emotional, my spiritual every day, getting up and having to switch it on and off and be this one person here and be this one person here. Like, I mean, that's just, that's just not healthy. That's not, and, and health is wealth. <laughs> I don't care what anybody else say, health is wealth. That's the new love and, and peace of mind is the new money. And I'm trying to be rich in that. I'm trying to be rich in that. Oh, we are. <laughs> sure. Ryan, That's a very good question, though. Yeah, well, to your point about um, like working in the agency life, working in agency life in the advertising industry, does lack mm -hmm. of representation in marketing and advertising affect the way, or has it ever affected the way that you imagine success for yourself professionally or in the, the boardroom when you guys are deciding to, to do a campaign, for example? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
I think one, like the, the line of visibility is always needed and appreciated. If I can see myself, if I can, uh, um, you know, visualize or see it every day or someone who looks like me and acts like me in some form of fashion, you know, on, a, on a, what we deem as a higher superior level, obviously that's, that's needed for uh, possible internal growth, professional growth. And it's, it's a nice to have. Um, mm -hmm. I think obviously like for marketing and advertising to be such an industry that's on the cutting edge of culture and always on the, the forefront of, you know, uh, the news and, and, and culture switch and blah, blah, this and the third. It's, it's almost mind blowing that we talk about lack of representation mm -hmm. as if this culture and society and where we live in is only reflective of one cis white male or cis white you know uh, uh female mm -hmm. it's like culture isn't that so why is there a lack of representation mm. with that within the four walls of the agency it should literally be reflecting and dan wyden made a, an incredible quote a few years ago where he talks about uh, i believe he was accepting an award and he even talks about how i hire these white kids to speak to the inner city youth about culture stuff that they live and breathe in every day and but i'm hiring these white people to do it like how the, the authentic and all that ain't in the same sentence because it's not it's just yeah. not right um how can you it, it's, it's it is it's un, it's unfortunate that this industry specifically is even still dealing with a lack of representation i will say though that it's growing and in my position i've learned that maybe it's not not always it's going to a certain degree Right. But it's maybe it maybe isn't always on the top and the CEO level. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to look across. Sometimes you have to look at that mid-level, at that senior to mid-level. Mm -hmm. And obviously on that junior level, I feel like we all float in that junior level <laughs> at some point. But right. I'm starting now more to look at, it's almost like my line of vision. I may not see it here way up at the mountaintop, but do I see it as I'm climbing up the mountaintop? Yes. Mm. And I'm rooting for them so at some point that as I'm climbing up, whatever my mountaintop, that they're also climbing up because retention is a huge, huge, huge thing. And we can bring in all the representation on the middle ground all we want, but are we keeping them? Are we retaining them? So that they end up growing within or they end up developing to be the top and the CEOs and the C-level team. Or do we just let them come in as junior level, hold them, check the box, and then let them go? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, to that point, I want to ask you if if the representation is at the mid level and not at the top, does it even matter? Mm. In terms, does it matter in terms of uh, like success? In terms of success, in terms of impact. So if we're all, if we can all look across to our left and to our right and see each other, but we can't look up, do you think mm -hmm. that do you think that affects our impact as a group? I think I think it definitely I think it definitely says something to obviously the culture environment agency that we're in that we can all be here you know at the mid or bottom level but we can't see at the top but I also think that's just I would like for that to be an opportunity or to fuel us to be like y'all we're setting the foundation yeah. let's keep it going keep the momentum going um, unfortunately it won't happen in a day it won't happen in a week but that's that's just with remaining consistent and when i feel like the two things that are so most important when you're intentional and when you're consistent 
if you're intentional about something, you have actual like, you know, rules or uh, some type of strategy or objective set in place and you're consistent about it, that means you are pressing on and continue pressing forward no matter what. Um, not, Gibraltar was not built in a day. Nothing, nothing great comes in a matter of moments or seconds. So yeah, while it would be nice to see some people at the top and I don't see it maybe all as much right now, it would be nice, it's not. But the ones I do see across, y'all let's band together, let's be intentional and let's be consistent. So that this time in X amount of years or that the next generation when they're having this conversa conversation can say, nah, we saw them there and now we see them there. Ideally, that's what I would, that's, right. what, that's my hope, that's my hope. I think that's a really optimistic way of looking at it because for me, when I go into the business school or I have like a career fair or something like that, the only black people I see in there are recruiters and they're usually diversity hires. But we have uh -huh. to, even it's not ideal, it's not ideal at all. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be that. But I like your take on it and that perspective that you have. Like, this is the foundation, and of course. Sure. Black people have always been deserving of C-suite positions, but sometimes always. you have to lay the foundation to dismantle what's in place, the institution that's in place that's keeping us at those lower and mid-levels. So mm -hmm. I love that. And mm -hmm. one point I'll say to that is, and which has already been happening and formulating, and we know it just because I started off the conversation talking about Black-owned businesses. If we can't get it in these institutions that have been around for X amount of years and are built with all their principles and values in place build our own shit we know Amen. we move the needle we know we shift culture at a drop of a dime we know what we're capable of like you said we're more than deserving let's go ahead and build our own shit and let's support collectively support our own shit mm -hmm. i like it so for my next question we all know the saying that we have to work twice as hard to get half as far because mediocrity mm -hmm. is never going to be tolerated in black communities, especially not even black communities because I know all of our listeners aren't black, but minoritized communities, mm -hmm. period. You always have to be better. You always have to work even 10 times yes. harder. I wouldn't even say twice. So how has this notion changed the way that you view success for yourself? And the reason I ask because I was on your Instagram and you had like a birthday post where you kind of touched on something along the lines of this. If you feel comfortable sharing how you felt about that, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to see how I can uh, relate the two because there definitely is a, a common thread. I think um, it, it's definitely a way of viewing traditionally success was always this role, this job, this pay, this material item this that and the third i i feel like that's just naturally ingrained in us especially at young age especially in black men and probably also in black women but i, I don't speak for myself i know in black men what success looks and feels and it's always materialistic mm. Mm. i say all that to say i'm working the quote we have to work twice as hard to get half as far what's your definition of success is, is, if your success is, the, is to be where those white people are at that level of wealth, or the, is that, if that's what you see as the uh, level of success, then I guess you, you enjoy working your ass off to get where they are. What I said, no new success for me is like inner peace. 
and in a happiness. And yes, in that birthday post, I was talking about, I feel like at 25, I'm relearning so much about faith, um, my faith, my faith in God, my self-esteem, what makes mm. me, me at the end of the day and learning that my value is not in my role. Mm. My value is not in my position. It's not at the agency and nor of any of these accolades. My value is in my character and how I make people feel and what I offer, you know, to the world. My father always has a quote that says, father, and he's talking about, you know, God, father, what would you have me do today? And I feel like that's such a, a, a humble and selfless way of looking at it. And that's what he feels as a dean of success. Mm-hmm. If he feels, honestly, he had a conversation with God saying, father, what would you have me do today? And maybe it's, it's to pray for someone, it's to do this, that, and the third. If that's what he feels his term success is, what do you got to work twice as hard for? <laughs> He did it. He done it. He probably did it in an hour. Or he probably did at the end of the day. Mm. That's how I view it. As it I, I, I first start off with what is my view of success? And that's, that's going to lead a conversation there. You either here, uh, route A or route B. Route A can be the materials, can be the commodities, this, that, and the third. Route B, for me, is, is, is my gifts. Am I using my gifts? Am I using my talents? And in my faith and my self-esteem, do I feel good and confident about me and myself at the end of the day? Then I'll, I'll work on myself. I'm not working twice as hard to get to nobody. I'm working on myself. And that's, that's going to be a continuous thing. Mm, that was deep. That was really deep. And I feel like, first of all, that's a great advice. I'm about to take that into my own life. But I feel like we discussed <laughs> like the roots of where our, our doubt or our insecurities or imposter syndrome comes from and how it makes us feel. But like you said, it's, it's time for us to dismantle it. And so I feel like Anthony, you just gave us some great advice, but Asa to you, I wanna know what does success look like to you and what are you doing um, to change the, the standards of success that you once grew up with that you no longer for abide sure. by? For sure. Go ahead, no. go ahead. <laughs> um, so for me, I think like, let me think about how I'm gonna answer this question because it really does go full circle. But when I was raised, there wasn't a huge emphasis on money or material things. Like my stepdad lived on a commune, my dad is a refugee, and we did like what we could with what we had. And that was always good enough for me. And so as I got older, I started measuring myself by other people's standards of success. Usually my family, they're like, okay, we worked hard for you to get here. We really want you to make us proud. So um, for a really long time, I worked to like impress mostly my Nigerian family, like my white family. They're like, okay, follow your passion, do what you want, like follow your dreams, but that's not socially accepted. So for a while, and even before, MGP especially I was like I don't give a fuck what I'm doing this summer I want to make some money like I want to make some money I want to get myself like some new shoes new clothes new jewelry stun on people a little bit but um I think that's been so ingrained in me because of one social media and like the conversations that I have with other people and we're talking about what we're doing and they're like oh well I'm doing this I'm like making money I'm making moves and one thing that I um took from the Michelle Obama podcast that I listened to yesterday was like there's such an emphasis now on doing everything yourself and making sure that you like you have everything 
And it's just not realistic to me anymore. So I feel like this summer has been a lot of, I hate the term soul searching, but it's been that, it's been that, it's been getting to know myself and what I want for myself in the future because that, what I wanted is not what I want now. Like three months ago, I feel like I was a completely different person. So I would have to agree with Anthony, like for me, success, is just being at peace with myself not having intrusive thoughts like you should be doing this or you should be doing that but being at peace with what i'm doing and making sure that i'm doing it for me and it's my purpose we're all here to serve a purpose and like the life goal is to do that and help other people realize that they can do that as well mm, i love that that was deep that was really good and i feel like um, i'm a strong believer and when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. And so I feel like now as young adults, we're all, all three of us are beginning to reparent ourselves to unlearn the concepts that were so ingrained in our psyches as children. Um, and to your last point, Asa, about helping other people realize the same thing, I wanna pose a question to, to both of y'all and then I'll see if I can answer it myself. But what advice, First, what advice would you give to yourself in order to keep doing that, that necessary work? And then second, what advice would you give to others? I would, um, I'll start with advice to myself, which is like something I, I've read, um, is uh, comparison is a thief of joy. Comparison is a thief of joy. I'm sure somewhere in the Bible, don't quote me on it, but I'm sure somewhere up in there, trying to get more to my word. <laughs> It's, uh, it's the thief of joy. And we talked about, you know, earlier, also you mentioned a little bit about social media. If I sit up here and compare and compare and compare, that's going to steal my joy. And my joy comes from something way above anything that's on this earth. Mm -hmm. True joy. <laughs> right, clapping. Comes from anything above, uh, uh, way much higher and superior than anything you can find on this earth. That's my advice to myself. My advice to others. Um, in terms of imposter syndrome, I'm, I would say one, we're all human. So give yourself like space and grace. We're all human. It's, it's unfortunately going to be natural to feel that comparison or to feel that, you know, that imposter syndrome and that, that learning how to switch. It's kind of like just when you, when you, when you, when you finally take the time for yourself, unlearn unlearn and give yourself give yourself space and grace because it's going to take some time but unlearn some of the things that you feel have always been embedded within you unlearn it give yourself some space and grace and manifest what works best for you mm. and to like ew i don't like piggyback but to go off of that i would say continue to unlearn things like you're constantly progressing. You're like what you need in life is constantly changing. So when it's time to unlearn something and it's not serving you anymore and you're like, okay, this isn't really applicable to my life, unlearn that and start again and be comfortable in that process. Um, what else? So for me, I would give myself the same advice that I would give to anyone else. And um, in terms of dealing with imposter syndrome, one, you have to talk to yourself like you're a different person. I know a lot of people are like, 
Mm. It's the self-deprecating language that we use when we talk about ourselves that just feeds into imposter syndrome. Like, oh, don't gas me, or oh, it wasn't all that, like just kind of downplaying yourself. And I'm so bad at doing that. But I would never do that to like someone I love, be like, oh, no, it wasn't all that, like it was not that big of an achievement. So I think that is a way that we can change the perception and like talk to ourselves. Um, that's number one. And then uh, career-wise, I was talking to this amazing girl, her name is Buku, and she is just the coolest person, great spirit. And we were talking the other day and I was talking to her about like my self-doubt and like getting to where I wanna be. And one thing that I always try to remember, I see it like on Instagram all the time, but like what is for you will never miss you. So like when you're in the process of finding out what you want, where you wanna be, and you're comparing yourself to all these other people who seem to be like where they want to be, you just have to remember you're gonna get there, it's gonna be okay, like shit is hard sometimes, but you're gonna end up getting there. And then one other thing that I do want to share, and it's gonna be the last thing, um, I was talking like, damn, you're working at Beats, like you were doing this, this, and this when you were in college, like you are the shit. And she's like, the only difference between what I'm doing, like at a high level position, and there's air quotes because everyone's going to be listening, but at a high level position mm -hmm. and what you're doing, like even with Afternoon Now or the other roles that you've been with is just like the prestige and the title of it. So she told me mm -hmm. you have to be proud in what you're doing right now, whether it is like a startup or you know just a project that you came up with on your own you have to promote that as if you're like at this high level position you have to be proud of everything that you like celebrate your small wins no matter how small like if you got out of bed today after not feeling great for like five days in a row you just couldn't get out of the house because we're quarantined like celebrate that shit and always celebrate yourself like your life daily should be a celebration so mm. That is what I have. Wow, Love that it. was deep. Right, me Love too. It. And I would just add to what you said. Um, and you said that like everything, basically, I'm forgetting the saying. What did you say? You What's said everything. I miss you. <laughs> Wait, wow. say it again. I think it's anything that is for you will never miss Boom. you. Boom, right, <laughs> exactly. Like yeah, no, I, I see it all the time too, but I was just gonna add, and what misses you was never for you. And I think people need to understand that um, for sure. And as far as answering my own question, I would say, one thing I would tell my, or two things I would tell myself, and I constantly tell myself this, one is there's no such thing as being in a room you don't belong in. Like that's a paradox. You cannot physically be in a room if you don't belong in that room. And I hold that with me everywhere, whether it's a virtual room or a physical room. <laughs> and then also wow. I, I constantly try to remind myself that everything that happens to me is also happening for me, good and bad. If it happens mm -hmm. to you, it's happening for you. And then Absolutely. to our listeners, I would just say for anybody who's experiencing imposter syndrome or suffering from it, I would just say that you were never the imposter. And I got that from, I read this article in mm -hmm. um, Fast Company that, that, and she said just, just that. The author said you were never the imposter. The true imposter is this false merit system that tells us when we're in school, all you have to do is work hard to get to where you want to be. And everybody Absolutely. else around you, every other successful person, that's all they've done. That's it's not true. Absolutely. It's, it's, all, it's a lie. It's a lie for the, the Carly <laughs> Red team. It's it was really all a lie. A lie. <laughs> exactly. 
You were never the imposter. Yeah, kill I just need everybody to remember that. Absolutely. Absolutely, y'all. Y'all was dropping gems. I, I'm over here taking notes. Y'all was teaching me some. Love that. Love that. This should definitely be an environment for everyone to learn and grow. So I'm proud of y'all, man. I was amazing. Thank you, Anthony, so much for joining us today for this conversation. I feel like it was more emotional than the other podcasts. I hope that the listeners can go home, you know, look at themselves in the mirror, see something that they like. Take all of this advice, apply it to your life. Um, and yeah. If you enjoyed this conversation, head over to itsafternoon.com to check out our other content. And to keep up with the latest on our agency and the sounds of our lives, Follow us on IG at Afternoon Agency and at Afternoon Sounds. Afternoon out.